You are listening to a podcast from Essendon Presbyterian Church in Melbourne, recorded 10 a.m. on February 18, 2024, presented by Rev. Chris Duke. So 1 Corinthians 1, verses 1 to 3. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Would you pray with me? Be gracious, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are the God who speaks and you speak to us through your word and through your spirit as you uh, help us to understand your word. And we pray, Lord, that you will give us understanding today, even these three short verses. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not sure what type of person you are, but are you the type of person that likes to solve problems? Now, in our congregation uh, at this point in time, we have a number of people who are or have been very good at mathematics. Uh, they're either engineers or they're mathematicians. Now, maybe because if you didn't like mathematics, you didn't like to solve problems. You see, mathematics is one of those disciplines that requires you to identify the correct method, the logical method, the systematic method in a way of how to solve a problem. Now, the ancient Greek mathematician Archimedes is told that whilst he was having a bath, discovered how to work out the proportion of gold in gold objects. Now, how he solved this problem was through displacement because the size of a pure gold object displaced water to a different level of the same object that had been diluted with perhaps silver or some other method, some other weight, some other element. Now Archimedes was able to prove that the royal goldsmith was in fact cheating the king. And I think the goldsmith would have lost his head. However, when we come to the problem of the condition of the human will, of the human heart, what you believe about will determine what the solution should be. How you think about the problem will determine what you think the solution will be. If you think that humanity's basic problem is merely intellectual or psychological or if you think it's physiological or philosophical or ethical, then you will likely look to education as a solution or to a therapy or to surgery or to philosophy or to morality in order to save humanities or to find out what humanity's basic problem is. And you see, each of these approaches predetermines that humanity is basically sound but only in need of some remedial assistance or some corrective training. In fact, you'll, you'll, you'll think that we're like a, a beautiful old home that is well made, that is functionally sound, but in need of some tender, loving care 
All that's needed is a lick of paint here and there. Then all will be well. However, the Bible paints a different perspective. Yes, we're much more like the old home, maybe at first glance. You know, you, you could do it some cosmetic repairs. But upon closer inspection, it turns out that the wiring is deadly. And the house dumps of white ant infestation. The house requires a completely new restumping and new rewiring. A lick of paint will not do the job. And friends, this is the same regarding the human condition. A new paint job is not sufficient, only a complete rewire. Surface changes will never overhaul the depth of our flawed condition. Now, when Paul wrote his letter to the Corinthians, he wanted them to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ that radically rewires our whole lives. And Paul at first had visited the city of Corinth around uh, 49 AD and planted a church. We read about it in Acts 18. And Corinth was a strategically situated, located city. And due to the location, it was a major centre for trade. It was a thriving city. It was a wealthy city. It was a busy cosmopolitan city with an abundance of economic opportunities. It attracted people from all over the known world at that time. You see, it was also a melting pot of cultures, all of which brought stark social contrasts. We might say Melbourne is a bit like it today. There were the obvious extremes of the luxuries of the rich and the misery of the poor. It was said to be a place abounding in luxuries but inhabited by an ungracious people. It was also a city for its immorality and its debauchery. With the great temple of Aphrodite's on the top of a hill overlooking the city with thousands of temple prostitutes and below it was the temple of Apollo which celebrated homosexuality. In time, the term to Corinthianize became a synonym for adultery and sexual perversity of every kind. It was a giant red light district, friends. But it was this dark cosmopolitan city that the Apostle Paul resolved to plant a church which he did in Acts 18, of course, with the help of Priscilla and Aquila. And after Paul planted a church, he left the city after about one and a half years to spend his next three years ministering in the city of Ephesus. And while he was at Ephesus, he, be he began to hear that all was not well in Corinth. The allure of the Corinthian culture continued to pull these young believers. And there, there were sharp divisions that emerged. Sexual sin continued to be a struggle and the oddities of pagan philosophy and the mystery cults began to creep into the teaching of some people in the churches. Now, you don't have to be Einstein 
to realise the First Corinthians has something relevant to say to our context today and our generation today. Many of the issues facing the believers in Corinth characterise the struggles facing Christians today as we wrestle with the call of Jesus Christ to be godly while the old life pulls us and draws us back into a sinful patterns of the world. And Paul's remedy is to remind the Corinthians to know the true and the living God revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ, crucified and risen by the empower, enabling power of the Holy Spirit to learn that the gospel of God's saving grace for sinners in Jesus is to apply to all details of our lives. Now, have you ever watched a TV series where the opening sequence is often made up of a kind of montage of clips from previous episodes where each character is reintroduced, reminding you of all the principal figures in the storyline that are about to unfold in that episode. Similarly, that's what Paul does in these opening verses in his letter. He weaves into his introductory greetings themes and ideas that he's going to build on and amplify that we'll meet again at various points throughout his letter. In these opening verses of 1 Corinthians, we have the themes that we're going to see over and over again. In particular, we have four themes that, we, that will be important as the book in, develops that are vitally important and foundational for our Christian lives. The first theme is authority. As we look at verse 1, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. Now, at first glance, Paul is simply following the Greco-Roman traditional and conventional letter-writing style. In this style, you begin with the author and then you mention the addressee and then you offer a word of greeting. And that's largely Paul's pattern. But in light of the rest of the letter, it's clear that much more is going on here in this introduction. In, uh, in Corinthians chapters 3 and 4 in particular, Paul will have to defend himself defend himself on his ministry from those who are challenging his authority. Why should you, Paul, tell us what to believe and how to live? Why must we listen to you, Paul? That was their question. So Paul reminds the Corinthians right here at the beginning of his apostolic credentials. Now, when you go to a doctor, unless you go to Dr Chris, what is one of those things that you like to see hanging on the wall? Yes, it's the doctor's credentials. It's his university certificates and his memberships. And Paul begins by playing here his apostle card and in particular his CACBWG card. That is, Paul called an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Paul is stating that it was the will of God who called him and made him an apostle. He didn't receive it from men, 
He wasn't made an apostle by the church. He also didn't one day wake up and decide and choose to be an apostle. Paul was called by the will of God, which invests in him God's authority that does not belong to other Christians. Notice the contrast between Paul and Sosthenes. Now I know Costa's going to tell me, he'll tell me another way to pronounce that. Paul is the apostle called by the will of God, but Sosthenes is the brother. Notice that? Now Sosthenes is the same man mentioned in Acts 18 verse 17, and I think that's very reasonable to conclude, then this is a wonderful title for him. He's titled the brother. In Acts 18, Luke tells us that Sosthenes was the ruler of the synagogue in Corinth. In, in Acts 18, we're not told whether he was a Christian or not, but we are told this, when the Jews in Corinth brought charges against Paul before Gallio, the Roman proconsul, because Paul was making converts from among the members of the synagogue, including one of the synagogue leaders, and from among the Gentiles in the city, Gallio dismissed their charges out of hand. But in their rage and in their frustration, The mob turns on poor Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and they beat him because this occurred when he was the synagogue leader. You see, he bore the brunt of the rage of the mob because of Paul's ministry. More likely he did convert. Well, he did convert eventually. Now, that's, the, that's incentive enough, isn't it, to hate Paul and to hate his gospel but here's the great power of the gospel to change even the hardest heart. Now Paul tells the Corinthians that Sosthenes is the brother. Praise God. Those of you who are witnessing to and praying for family members and, and loved ones and neighbours and friends and strangers, some of you have been praying and witnessing for years and you see no signs of change that God can take the least likely candidate who's rejected the gospel and make them brothers and sisters in Christ. That's exactly what he's done in the life of Sosthenes. But understand this, that for all the glory of that, Sosthenes is still only the brother, whereas Paul, on the other hand, is the called apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. He is the spokesman of, of Christ by divine appointment. When Sosthenes speaks, the Christians might listen or not. He might speak wisely and he might be, um, or, or he might be spouting rubbish. Their consciences were free when Sosthenes spoke, but when Paul speaks, that's an entirely different matter. You know, in today's egalitarian society, that is, you know, because we're all meant to be equal, we rebel. We naturally rebel against the idea of authority. Today, Paul's words don't seem to have the same weight of authority or even 
the comparative urgency that when we watch the news of a three-minute news segment, that Paul is the mouthpiece of Jesus Christ by the will of God so that when 1 Corinthians speaks, we should be glued to its every word because every word originates not from Paul but from Jesus Christ himself. Therefore, the first thing Paul highlights is the theme of authority. And that's why, friends, we should be spending our time in God's word daily. Are you spending time in God's word on a daily basis? Secondly, we have the theme of identity. Notice who Paul writes to in verse 2. He writes to the church of God in Corinth. In the Greek, the word translated church is ecclesia, which simply means an assembly. But in the Corinthian society, there were many assemblies. But here in verse 2, we have a distinction of being the assembly of God, the church of God. It's not the church of Paul. It's not the church of the Corinthian leadership. It's not the church of the membership or even of the culture of that day. Friends, the church here in Mooney Ponds is not the creation of a denomination, nor is it defined by the personalities of its pastor as pastors or elders, even though you should be profoundly grateful over the years. And I don't say that about myself, I say that about over time. The church in many ponds, it doesn't belong to us. It's not for us. We are the church of God. We are his and we are in him. This is the church, the ecclesia of God. And then Paul focuses on something in particular. What is the church of God? What does it really look like? How do you distinguish it from other assemblies? What makes Essendon Presbyterian Church distinct from the Rotary Club or the Mooney Valley Racecourse? Mooney Valley Racing Club. Let's look at the text. The Church of God, Paul says, is made up of those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. The word sanctified and the word saint, they share the same Greek root, same basis of the Greek word. A saint is a sanctified one. And the word simply means to have been set apart, to have been consecrated, like the vessels and the furniture and the garments and the priests themselves in the old temple, the Old Testament temple. They were set apart, they were set aside, they were consecrated and devoted to a sacred purpose. They were dedicated entirely to God. What happens when we become Christians? We are sanctified. God has set us aside and that is our fundamental identity now. We have been designated and reserved for God. 
And then Paul tells us where and how that happens. In verse 2, where are we sanctified? Well, the answer is in Jesus Christ. God unites us to Christ through faith. We are planted into him. He's the Holy One and in him we are consecrated and set apart as holy too. And then he tells us how it happens. In the text he says, we are called to be saints. Or a better translation is simply called saints. The sovereign, effective, irresistible call of God in the preaching of the gospel, in the power of the Holy Spirit, makes us saints. God in the preaching of the gospel, applied by the Spirit of God, makes us saints as he calls us into union with Jesus Christ. Now think about these Corinthians for a moment. As it turns out, they were fighting, they were squabbling among themselves. They were holding grudges and some were acting superior and suing one another in the public courts and some were sleeping around and some were participating in pagan rituals and they were getting drunk even at the Lord's table, which Paul had to correct. You see, they were a mess. But here Paul calls them saints. He calls them sanctified in Christ Jesus because of the call of God in their lives. Now when you get up in the morning and you look in the mirror, what do you see? At first glance it's never a really a great sight, is it? But if you're honest with yourself, you'll see a wicked, sinful, compromising screw-up full of lust and pride and anger and laziness and unbelief and judgmental and a thousand other things if you're honest with yourself. But despite this, this is not your identity, brothers and sisters, because you are in Christ. Now that may be what we do and how we act in our backsliding and sin. But as we cling to Jesus, even desperately and brokenheartedly, as we cling to Jesus, Paul says that we're not who we are. That's not who we are. Now we are sanctified in union with Christ Jesus by the powerful call of the Spirit of God. Now you are a saint. And God has hung his reserve sign on you. And that sign says you are his. Dedicated and reserved for his use and his glory, consecrated unto him, that is who you are. So now Paul is saying to the Corinthians, it is time really to be who you are. To live out your identity before the world, before its eyes and before its gaze and also the gaze of a holy and a righteous God. He's saying stop living the old life. That's not who you are anymore. Stop telling yourself otherwise because you are sanctified, so be holy. 
You are a saint in union with Jesus Christ and it's time to start living like one. So we have authority, we have identity. The next two things are simply the implications of all this. The first has to do with our new activity as Christians. Verse 2 again says we are called to be saints. We are called to be saints <coughs> with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Now Paul doesn't simply mean to say that the church is marked by this stance and posture that we occasionally pray. More than that, he's saying the whole life of a Christian can be summed up under this heading. This is a distinctive characteristic feature. They're always calling. They live calling. They live clinging to, dependent on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is Paul saying is that it's a habitual state of mind in the church to call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That should be our habit. If you only call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ when you, you're nailing a hammer into a piece of wood and you miss the, uh, the nail and hit your thumb, what Paul is saying this should be our a habit. They're constantly calling. It's how they live. Their stance, they're leaning on, resting on, calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in every circumstance. Do you do that? Can this be said of us? Is this our most notable feature, our great characteristic? Are we habitually and instinct, instinctively calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in all of our life. What happens in your heart when fear strikes? Is it your instinct and habit to run to Jesus? Or is Jesus maybe the third or fourth person down the list? Down the list of other reactions and emotions that pass through your mind. Is he always on your lips and on your heart? Are you longing for more of him? You see, all our hope for the future, for your hope, for your growth, for your ministry, for your faithfulness, and our faithfulness entirely rests in Jesus Christ. Now, finally, Paul emphasises unity. It's the other great fruit of the call of God that sets us apart in Christ. We are first Jesus' people. We call on the name of Jesus Christ and then we are an, a united pe people. We are called saints together with those who are in every, every place who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see the emphasis on unity here? Paul wants us to understand that to be sanctified in Christ and to be called a saint, it has vertical implications. We call on Jesus' name and then there are horizontal implications. We do it together. We do it collectively. 
We are one. We are united in Christ. And those two must always go together. Yes, individually, but also collectively. And Paul is saying the cliques that riddle the Corinthian church is incompatible with the posture and habit of calling on the name of Jesus. A Christ-dependent heart is one that beats with love for Christ's people. Whoever they may be, wherever they may be found and from whatever background they come from, biblical authority produces gospel identity. We are in Christ, saints, sanctified, set apart for Jesus and this new gospel identity leads to dependent activity. We cling to Christ and we're always calling upon his name. And to profound spiritual unity because we do it all together as we live out our Christian lives. We live it out together in community. We are a community of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Biblical authority, gospel identity, dependent activity, spiritual unity. That's Paul's argument. From this moment on, may we resolve to be who we really are. That is set apart for Jesus Christ. We are saints. We are sanctified ones because of the mighty call of God on us by his word and by the spirit. You are no longer defined by your sin and your failure. Though sin and failure may yet dog your steps, you're defined in Christ as a sanctified one. So let's be who we really are in Jesus, holy and set apart for him, which means that under the authority of the apostolic word which we have read today, which we are proclaiming God willing today, we must learn to cling anew to Jesus every day. We must learn to cling to Jesus anew and to love his church, preserving and cherishing her unity, caring for those who are not like us because Christ, whom we are united to, loves his church, this church, even warts and all, who is giving himself up for her. If we do that by God's grace, if we're enabled more and more to keep this resolve, there's no telling what Christ might do among us for his glory in the days ahead. So let us look to God. Let us learn to be who we really are. That is saints, set apart, sanctified ones. Let us be holy because we have been sanctified in Christ. And let us call on and cling to Jesus. And in that process, may we love one another and preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Amen. Would you pray with me? Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the call, the apostolic call upon Paul. And Lord, today we can read about it through the, through the word that's been preserved for us. May we all appreciate that we are now also called to be saints, set apart, sanctified, holy for you. 
May we indeed rely upon you every moment of the day, every day of the week. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. More messages of hope at Essendon Presbyterian Church dot org dot au or wherever you get your podcasts from.